Our topic for tonight is Survival Keys for Revelation's End Time. We have been studying in the Prophecies of Hope program from two great prophetic books in the Bible, Daniel and Revelation. And the book of Daniel tells us in Daniel 12, verse 4, in the time of the end, knowledge shall be increased. One of the areas where knowledge has been rapidly increasing at end time is in the area of health. And it's interesting that the book of Daniel actually begins with the issue of health. Here is from a magazine back in December 1999, Science Magazine, that said around 600 B.C., Daniel of Judah conducted what is widely regarded as the earliest recorded clinical trial. His trial compared the health effects of a plant-based diet with those of a royal Babylonian diet over a 10-day period. So here is this experiment recorded in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. Let's give you the overview of Daniel 1. You see, back in those days, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was conquering the then-known world, and he would bring the most promising, the brightest young men back from the lands he, cap he conquered to Babylon. There he would retrain them, re-educate them, make them servants of the Babylonian empire. And when he conquered Palestine, among those brought captive were men that we know by name. Some of you know them by name. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And when they arrived in Babylon, Daniel and his friends, they discovered that part of the program was that they were going to eat food at the king's cafeteria. You think the food being served at the Babylonian cafeteria was healthy food? Must not have been, because in Daniel 1, verse 8, we read, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. When Daniel and his friends looked over the menu of the king's cafeteria, they said, We can't eat this food and stay healthy. They knew that whatever would affect their health of body would affect their mind. God communicates to us through our minds. So whatever weakens the body, weakens the mind, weakens our connection with heaven. And so Daniel purposed. Now, there were at least three reasons that Daniel would not eat from the royal Babylonian cafeteria. Number one was that much of the food had been offered to idols. And so if a Jew were to, was to eat of that food, it would be considered an act of idolatry, partaking of idol worship. Number two, much of the food was prohibited by Scripture. And then number three, a lot of the food was plain unhealthy for body and mind. And that's why he wouldn't eat of it. So what was Daniel and his friends to do? Well, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat or with the wine which he drank. And so they proposed a 10-day trial. Let's go read it from Daniel chapter 1, verses 11 to 14. Daniel 1, verses 11 to 14. I'm going to read it right out of the Bible here. The Bible says in verse 11, Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Verse 12, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. A more modern translation of that would say, test your servants for 10 days and let us be given, what? Vegetables. Vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
So they're asking for what kind of diet? A vegetarian diet for 10 days just to see the effects. And then as you read on, verse 13, Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented unto them in this matter, and proved them 10 days. Well, what do you think? After 10 days of only eating vegetables, uh, what happened? They probably lost weight. They probably got weak and maybe sickly. No. You think? No. Well, let's see what the Bible says as we read on. Verse 15. And at the end of the 10 days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. And a more modern translation says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than all the young men who ate of the royal food. So as a result of this careful diet, this special strict diet, they had physical health. They were physically healthier. Let's read on. Verse, so he consented to them in the matter and proved them 10 days. They were fair and fatter. Verse 16, thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse or vegetables. Verse 17. And verse 17, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So not only were they physically healthier, they were mentally superior. How much so? Well, let's continue reading in verses 18 through 21. Daniel 1, 18 says, Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I should clarify. They went through a three-year educational program. During the three years, they followed this vegetarian diet. They tried it for 10 days, and so they were allowed to follow that same diet for three years. And then after three years, they were brought in before the king. And then verse 19 says, And the king communed with them, and among them was found none, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. Verse 20, And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Ten times smarter than anybody else. Wouldn't you like to be ten times smarter than anybody in the Philippines? Here they were ten times better than anybody else in the Babylonian Empire. And it wasn't that. It wasn't only that. See, they were physically healthier. Mentally, they were superior. What else? They had longevity. You can read in Daniel, 2, Daniel 1, 21. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel lived into his late 80s or early 90s. These are the benefits that Daniel received from following that strict diet. Now, let's not forget that as a result of Daniel's purpose in his heart, Daniel 1, verse 8, as a result of that, we have Daniel's prophecy. If we had not had Daniel's purpose, we would not have Daniel's prophecies with us in our Bible today. And for us also, if we will follow Daniel's example, we will have a better understanding, especially about Bible prophecy. If Daniel had not purposed to take care of his health, we would not have the book of Daniel in our Bibles. Because of Daniel's purpose, 
God blessed him to be one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. Daniel was simply following the instructions that God had given his people centuries before for their health. Let's go back to Exodus 15, verse 26. You can mark that in your notes tonight. Exodus 15, verse 26, the Bible says. God says, if you will diligently listen, hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. What are some of those diseases that were brought upon the Egyptians? Well, they've done studies on the Egyptian mummies, and they discovered that the Egyptians had similar diseases to what we have today. They had heart disease. Cancer. They had arthritis. Hepatitis. And they even had tetanus. Trichinosis. Dental cavities. Diabetes. And obesity. Do we have those same diseases today? Those are the same diseases that have plagued our society. The Egyptians had those diseases. And those are lifestyle diseases. Those are diseases that we bring upon ourselves by our poor lifestyle or by our poor choices. What's interesting, even though God wants us to be healthy, the World Health Organization estimates that one-third of the world is sick. Imagine one-third of the world. The bad news is we bring a lot of the disease upon ourselves by our poor choices. There is a saying that you are what you eat. Now that, that, that's more true than may seem like it. That is true. And for that reason, God tells us, put the text in your notes. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Why should we eat and drink to God's glory? Well, you see, one reason is because you are what you eat. You want to be healthy? Then it depends upon what you choose to eat. What happens if a person doesn't take care of their health? Well, they might get sick, of course. But there's an even more serious issue. Let's go read about it from 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Reading on. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. What happens to those who defile this body? They'll be destroyed. We talked about that already. We don't want to experience that. That brings us to the question, what are some ways? The Bible says, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. What are some ways that people are defiling their body? What's this guy in the picture doing? Smoking. Does smoking defile our body, temple? Yes. Yes. Dr. Linus Pauling, Nobel Prize winning scientist said... Every cigarette a person smokes takes 14 and a half minutes off his life. That's slow suicide, killing yourself slowly. And cigarette smoking contributes to a lot of diseases, contributes to heart disease, to strokes, various forms of cancer, to emphysema, to premature births, poor circulation, shortness of breath. And that's by no means the end of the list. In fact, they estimate that tobacco use causes 6 million deaths a year. That's CBS News 2010. 
Six million people die. That's as much as the Holocaust. Every year, six million people die because of tobacco. And you know, it's not just the people who smoke. Secondhand smoke is also deadly. What does, ta- to, what does smoking contain that's so deadly? Well, it has nicotine, which is, of course, a deadly poison. One of the most deadly poisons known to man. And a smoker will increase his risk something like 1,000%. For lung cancer, over a non-smoker, and 100 plus percent risk, higher chance of risk for heart disease. Here is what we science shows us: tobacco smoke contains 70 different cancer-causing substances. That's why you don't want to breathe it. There's a picture of a smoker's lung. Does it look like he has defiled his body temple? I would say so. Well, I think so. Not only is it bad for your health, tobacco smoking, but it's also expensive on your wallet. It's almost the equivalent of taking your pesos, rolling them up, and burning them. It would be better to do that than smoke, because at least you'd have your health. Right. If you smoke, kick the habit, save the money, and in a year, or you might buy a new computer or go on a cruise. Go visit Malaysia or some other place. I had a man tell me, he said, I've smoked enough in 25 years to buy a brand new car. I thought, wow, that's pretty bad. Burned it up. Now he was suffering from poor health. Well, there are other ways you can get tobacco. You can chew your way to the grave. Well, there is good news. You can quit the five steps to victory. We talked about this Sabbath morning. Victory is a gift. Ask for victory. Believe that God gives you victory. Make no provision to fail. And watch and pray. You can go through these five steps and you can claim victory. You can claim deliverance. I know a man that had been smoking for 58 years, ever since he was seven years old. He went through these five steps. God gave him victory after 58 years of smoking. God can give you victory. Go through those five steps. God will deliver you. What's the Bible say? Read with us. If any any man man defile defile the temple temple of God, God, him shall God God destroy. destroy. 1 Corinthians 3.17. Well, one way that people defile their body is tobacco. Are there other ways, son? Well, yes. The Bible says whether therefore you eat or drink... Do all to the glory of God. Are there things that people drink that defile their body temple? Yeah, things like alcohol. Alcohol is the number one drug problem in society. In fact, the doctor will tell you that alcohol damages every cell in the body that it touches. What did the Bible say? Well, the Bible says, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. That's one way that you can defy your body, by using alcohol. But what about Jesus? Didn't he turn water into wine? Have you heard that story? Well, the question is, what kind of wine was it? Did you know there are two types of wine in the Bible? There's the alcoholic kind of wine, and we, today we call it wine. And then there's the non-alcoholic kind of wine, which today we call grape juice. But in the Bible, they're both called wine. 
So you have to look at the context to know whether it's talking about the alcoholic kind or the non-alcoholic kind. In fact, in Bible times, this has been documented archaeologically. If you were living in Bible times and you were to ask for a glass of wine, do you know what they would give you? A glass of grape juice. In Bible times, when they thought wine, they automatically thought grape juice. Today, we think wine, we think alcohol. But now archaeology has verified that they had some several different ways of preserving grape juice for up to a year without any fermentation. They knew how to do that back in Bible times. The word wine has changed in meaning. Do words change in meaning? Well, yes, they do. Take, for example, this word. Gay. Fifty years ago, if I said, I'm gay today, what would I mean? Happy. I'm happy. Today, if I say, I'm gay, uh, people say, well, look out, watch out, that guy's a homosexual. Now, I want to clarify, I'm not a homosexual. <laughs> but you can see how the word gay has completely changed in meaning. So has the word wine. That's right. The Bible talks about new wine, Isaiah 65, 8, that is found in the cluster. And one says, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. What kind of wine is found in a cluster of fresh grapes? That would be unfermented wine. We call it grape juice. Even today, we have the wine press. What kind of wine comes out of the wine press? It's wine, but non-alcoholic. Fresh grape juice. At the service, the Last Supper, what kind of wine do you suppose Jesus and his disciples used? The Bible says it was the fruit of the vine. It was the non-alcoholic kind because the alcohol, the fermentation, was a symbol of sin and Jesus did no sin. So what kind of wine should we use for communion for the Lord's Supper today? Well, we should use unfermented wine, grape juice. Are there some preachers and priests that have a problem with alcohol? Yes. I wonder if maybe it's because they're using the wrong kind of wine for the communion, for the Lord's Supper. They ought to be using the non-alcoholic kind. The Bible says in Daniel 1 verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wow. wine which he drank. What kind of wine do you think they served in Babylon? The wine of Babylon. It was probably alcoholic wine. And Daniel made a commitment he would not drink that. What does the Bible say about alcoholic wine? Let's look at a couple examples. You can mark these if you're taking notes. Here's one from Proverbs, Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Was Jesus wise? Yes. So what kind of wine did he make? Non-alcoholic. If I want to be wise like Daniel, ten times wiser, then should I use alcoholic wine? No. Yeah, the Bible says wine is a mocker. We know that's the alcoholic kind of wine. In fact, the concordance says this about new wine. New, sweet wine or, or what? Juice of grapes. Juice of grapes. Now, what about the apostle's instruction to Timothy? Use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and for thine often infirmities. What kind of wine do you suppose he was recommending? Grape juice. Is there a benefit from grape juice? 
you may have heard of the studies that have been done on the benefits to your heart from drinking a glass of red wine every, at least once a week. Have you heard those studies? What they don't tell you is that the benefit comes from the grape. You see, the grape contains what we call the flavonoids. These are very powerful antioxidants. Good for the heart, good for digestion. They're anti-cancer. But you get those flavonoids from the grape, not from the alcohol. There's no benefit from the alcohol. So if you want the benefit from the grape, then drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. You'll get the same benefit without the side effects of the alcohol. Any level of alcohol consumption resulted in a decline in brain volume, according to CNN News. The headline was, what? Does drinking alcohol shrink your brain? Do you want to shrink your brain? Oh. Are you going to be smart like Daniel if you shrink your brain? Any level. How much? Any level. So whether it's mild beer or vodka, any level. I had a doctor show me a picture of a woman's brain one time, and you could actually see where the brain had shrunk. And he told me the lady had told him she drank a glass of wine, each, just one glass of wine a week. And you could see the brain shrinking, shrinkage as a result. Do you know what part of the brain is first affected by alcohol? The frontal lobe. It takes two weeks for your frontal lobe to return to normal after getting drunk. You think you're sober the next day. Well, maybe you can drive a car or you can, you can act like you're sober, but it takes two weeks for the frontal lobe to recover from alcohol. That's why we ought not to drink it. Well, the Bible says whether therefore you eat or drink, are there other things people drink that could defile their body temples? Well, yes. What about this in the picture? What's that? Oh, that's coffee. What does coffee have in it that's unhealthy? Caffeine. Have you ever noticed how caffeine and nicotine sound similar? Both poisons. That's right. Caffeine is found in coffee. And it's found in teas, regular teas, tea leaf, iced tea, Green tea. Not talking about herb tea. Herb tea, that's okay. But when you read the label, if it says tea and then lemon flavoring, that's the real tea, which contains caffeine. And not only can you find it in tea, you can find it in... The cola drinks. Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola, Mountain Dew, Dr. Pepper, and what else? And... The energy energy drinks. Full of caffeine. What's caffeine do? Caffeine is highly addictive. You don't believe that, try quitting. You find out it isn't easy. It overstimulates the nervous system. Contributes to ulcers. Raises blood sugar. Irritates kidneys. Contributes to cancer of the urinary tract, and that's not all. It even contributes to heart disease. Bladder cancer. Neurological disorders. It increases blood pressure. That's why the doctor will tell you if you have high blood pressure, Stop drinking coffee. That's what the doctor will tell you. And a disease associated with caffeine called caffeinism. Here's what one doctor said, Dr. Harold Shyrock. Caffeine, the drug contained in coffee, is classed in textbooks as both a stimulant 
and the poison. I have a question for you. Should we put poison in our bodies? Uh, What's the Bible say? Let's read all together. If, if any man, man defile the, the temple, temple of God, God him shall God destroy. Coffee, according to one study, one to five cups of coffee a day increases the risk of heart attack by 60%. Six or more increases it by 120%. That's a huge stress on your heart. Here's another study. Just 250 milligrams, that's two to two and a half cups of coffee, cause a 30% decrease in brain blood flow. The latest study that I heard, within 10 minutes of drinking a cup of coffee, the blood flow in the frontal lobe decreases by 40%. That's why you're not able to refrain from gossiping after drinking coffee. It loosens your tongue. Here is what one study showed, May 4, 2009. Are you wrecking your brain? Chilling pictures reveal the shocking effects of alcohol, cigarettes, and even caffeine on the mind. Here was the picture that they showed in the article. This is the UK News Mail Online. And there you see a normal brain. Here, compared to that, you have a brain that's been affected by... Caffeine, nicotine. Do you see the difference in the brains? No, is that what you want in your brain? No, that's why you really ought to kick the coffee habit. That's right. One study said moderate caffeine consumption makes a person react like he or she is having a very stressful day, Lane said. If you combine the effects of real stress with the artificial boost in stress hormones that comes from caffeine, then you have compounded the effects of stress considerably. So a cup of coffee in the morning means a cup of stress. It's like drinking stress. Are you stressed? Well, if you're stressed, then you'll want to add to your stress by drinking a cup full of stress. Morning coffee boosts blood pressure, stress hormones throughout the day. So when you drink your cup of coffee in the morning, you're boosting your stress for the whole day. That's what the doctor's guide said. What well, about decaf coffee? We really don't recommend decaf coffee, and I'll tell you why. They can't get all the caffeine out. And the decaffeination process is actually more unhealthy than the caffeine. So what we recommend, instead of a cup of decaf coffee, get an herb tea. Or you can get these coffee substitutes that are based on, like, soy or something like that. There's no caffeine at all in them. We don't recommend the decaf coffee. Here's the good news. You can quit whatever the drinks that bind you. Accept victory as a gift, ask for victory, believe God gives you the victory, make no provision to fail, and watch and pray. You can claim victory. Under number four, make no provision to fail, what must I do with my coffee? Get rid of it. I got to get rid of it. Don't leave it in the cupboard. Otherwise, the next morning when you wake up, it's like, oh, oh I need some energy. And so you're going to reach for that that cup of stress. When it's not in the house, then it's easier to say no. The Bible says, whether therefore you eat or drink 
or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Are there things that we eat that are also unhealthy? Does what we eat affect our health? Well, apparently so. And that's why more and more people recognizing that the effect of what we eat upon the body are going back to the original, original diet. diet. Let's go read about that from Genesis 1, verse 29. Genesis 1:29, and God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree, yielding seed. To you it shall be for food. So God's original diet he gave to mankind to subsist off of was a plant-based diet. And that was actually Daniel's diet. That's the diet for the best mental performance, the original diet following that diet. They lived before the flood almost a thousand years. But after the flood, you notice from the picture, there's a drastic drop-off in longevity and lifespan. Why? When they came out of the ark in Noah's day, was there any save more to shop at? Did they have divisoria? There was no place to go buy fruits and vegetables because the earth had been destroyed by the flood. There were no, no papayas growing yet. No bananas. And so to meet this emergency, what did God do? Well, he gave man for the first time permission to have flesh foods. And immediately the longevity of man began to decline. But he couldn't just eat anything. There were certain restrictions. Let's read about it from Genesis 7, 1 and 2. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take unto thee by sevens, male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, male and his female. Clean and unclean? I thought that was some Jewish. Well, How this, many Jews were living in Noah's day? This was long before the Jews came along. How many of the clean animals? Why seven? Why seven, son? They could have something to sacrifice and something to eat. How many of the unclean? Suppose Noah or one of his family decided they wanted to eat one of the unclean animals. How many were there? Two. So if they ate one, what would happen? We would not have that species today. If Noah or his family had eaten one of those unclean animals, well, they'd be extinct. Be gone. What are the clean and what are those unclean animals? Well, let's find out. We're going to go to Deuteronomy 14, 3 through 8. If you're taking notes, you can read the same thing in Leviticus 11. But we will read it from Deuteronomy 14, 3 through 8. Verse 3, God says, Thou shalt not eat any abominable thing. And then God says, If you choose to eat meat, these are the animals you have permission to eat. And we have them listed here. These are the beasts which you shall eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the hart, that's a deer, and the roebuck, and the fallow deer, and the wild goat, and the pygarg, that's an ibex-type animal, and the wild ox, and the shamos, that's a mountain sheep. How do we know, son, whether they're clean or unclean? Well, the guideline is found in the next verse, verse 6, and every beast that parts the hoof, number one, and... Cleaves the cleft into two claws, number two, 
and choose, well, actually, this is number two, and choose the cud among the beasts that ye shall eat. So an example of a clean animal would be a cow. He's considered a clean animal. Beef is considered clean as long as it doesn't come from, from where? England. Oh, from England. Have you heard about mad cow disease? We got it in America as well. It's spreading all around the world. In fact, some people now recognizing the dangers of even eating the clean meats are going back to that original diet that you find in Daniel's diet that you find back in the beginning. But what are the animals that were forbidden to eat, son? Well, there were certain animals that were not to be eaten. Let's notice that from Deuteronomy 14, 7 and 8. Nevertheless, these ye shall not eat of them that chew the cud or of them that divide the cloven hoof as the camel and the hare and the coney, for they chew the cud but divide not the hoof. Therefore, they are unclean unto you. So the first animal on our list is the camel. Well, the camel is actually unclean. We can't eat any more camel steaks at Jolly Bee. The camel is unclean. No more camel burgers. Uh, we're serious. You've got to give it up. It's unclean. How many of you are willing to give up camel meat? May I see your hands? Okay, you say, well, preachers, we don't eat camel too often, so we're doing okay. But notice it says, also, and the hare. That's the rabbit. No more bunny burgers. The rabbit's unclean. And the coney, that's a rock badger, so we've got to stop putting rock badger in our soup. Because it's unclean too. Are you willing to give up rock badger? How many willing to give up rock badger? Oh, you say, I don't eat that very often either. Well, we're doing pretty good, son. Let's see what else. Verse 8. This one says, and the swine. What's that? The boy. Oh. The pig. <laughs> and the swine. You say, oh, preachers, we were doing okay with verse 7. That was all right. But verse 8, oh, that condemns my freezer and the swine. Because it divides the hoof, yet choose not the cud. It is unclean unto you. Ye shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their dead carcass. What's amazing, the very thing that God has forbidden us to eat, the devil has created an appetite for that thing. Uh, the pig. God says don't eat the pig. God, God said don't eat it, but... We eat the whole pig. His flesh, his skin, his internal organs, his fat, his feet, pickled pig's feet, his brains. Look at this, pork brains in milk gravy. Doesn't that sound delicious? There's only one part of the pig that we don't eat. That's his oink. That's the only part of the pig we don't eat. The pig is a scavenger. Pigs love filth. They're not only filthy on the outside, they're also filthy on the inside. That's right. Trichina larvae are inside them. One doctor found, Dr. McNaught found that one of every four pork specimens had living trichina larvae in it. When you eat pork, when you eat Buh boy. 
then those little worms get inside of you, and they can go to any part of the body. They usually settle in the muscles, but sometimes they go to places you really don't want them to be. Here's Fox News, 2008. It's not a tumor. Doctors find worm in woman's brain instead. She went into the hospital. She was dizzy. She was having these seizures. They did a scan on her brain. They saw what looked like a worm. They did a, they opened up her skull and they found a worm eating in her brain. Can I ever hope to be 10 times wiser like Daniel if I got worms eating my brain? Can you see why God says don't eat it? That's why in America, the American Health Department tells American people, if you're going to eat pork, then make sure you cook it thoroughly. So the idea, you know, if you cook the pork long enough, then you kill all the worms. Problem is you're just eating dead worms then. Who wants to eat dead worms? And the fact is, cooking it may not kill all the worms. Out of 24 trichina cases, documented cases, 22 came from cooked pork. So cooking it doesn't guarantee you're going to kill all those worms. Also, pork is the highest cholesterol source of all meats. And pork has the highest fat content of all meats. That's why if you're having any health problems, the first thing the doctor will tell you to quit eating is pork because it's so unhealthy. Now, someone says, well, now, in the New Testament, can't we eat the flesh of pigs? People say that Jesus cleansed the pig. It's okay to eat it now. Well, I say, well, New Testament Christians can still get trichinosis. You can still get worms in your brain if you eat that stuff. But let me give you a New Testament proof that the pork, the pig is unclean. In John, you can mark these texts, in John 6, 11 to 13, we find Jesus feeding 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes. They gathered 12 baskets of leftovers, nothing wasted. But then in Mark 5, 11 through 13, you find 2,000 pigs that go to waste. Jesus would never have allowed 2,000 pigs to be wasted if he considered the pig to be good food. So evidently in the New Testament, the pig is also unclean. Here is a verse, Isaiah 66, 15 through 17, that indicates that the pig is still unclean when Jesus comes. Let's read it. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. So this is evidently the Lord returning. And when he comes, reading on, for by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Who will be slain, son? Well, the Bible says, they that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the garden behind one tree in the midst, that's referring to idolatry, also eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together, saith the Lord. So God says those that are still eating unclean food, when Christ comes back, they're going to be slain with the wicked. That's what the Bible says. That's why we read, let's read it all together. 
If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. God doesn't want worms eating our brains. So he says, don't eat those things. What about the marine animals? Are there certain restrictions for them as well? Yes, son. Let's read that from Deuteronomy 14. These ye shall eat of all that are in the waters. All that have fins and scales shall ye eat. That's verse 9. Then verse 10. And whatsoever has not fins or scales ye may not eat, it is unclean unto you. So it must have what? Fins and scales. And And if it doesn't have that, God says, don't eat it. That would eliminate the shrimp, the crabs, the oysters, the lobsters, all the shellfish. Doesn't have fins and scales. You may not eat, God said. Notice there's two requirements for the land animals. Two requirements for the land animals. They have to chew the cud and they have to divide the hoof. What about for fish? They have to have fins and scales. So if you're going to eat what comes out of the waters, out of the sea, it has to have fins and scales. scales. What about that fish, the catfish? Well, I don't see any scales. It has fins, but no scales. So that's an unclean fish. And those fish are the scavengers of the water. The largest catfish are those that live where the sewage comes out of the city. They like to eat garbage. God says it's got to have fins and scales. What about birds? Leviticus 11 verses 13 through 19 is the text about birds. And it seems that a chicken would be considered as a clean bird. If you want to read the list of clean and unclean birds, it's recorded there. Leviticus 13, 11, or Leviticus 11, rather, verses 13 to 19. One other prohibition God gave his people, Leviticus 3.17, God told his people not to eat fat and not to eat blood. We know that's the fat in the meat that clogs our arteries with cholesterol, and it's the blood that contains the cancer viruses, the cancer bacterias, and all those other things that are harmful to health. So God told his people not to eat that. You say, well, what's left to eat if I can't eat my camel and I can't eat my crab? What's left? Well, there's lots of good things left. Some people say, well, you could eat too many uh, carrots, and that would be unhealthy. Well, that's right. That's why there's a word called temperance. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control or temperance, which means to abstain from what is bad for our health and to use with moderation what is good for our health. God said, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Whether therefore you eat, or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Daniel set a good example for we living at end time. You want to survive Revelation's end time, then follow the example of Daniel. Now, God never asks us to give up what it is for our best good to keep. I had a lady tell me one time, son, she said, oh, you took away all my good things. No, God God didn't take away anything good for us. He took away what's bad for us. Psalms 84, 11 says, no good thing will he withhold from those who follow him. Father, does the Bible require us to be vegetarian? 
Well, there are actually three diets in the Bible. There is the ideal diet, the Daniel diet, that will give you the longest lifespan and the brightest mind. Then there is the permitted diet. God says, all right, if you want to eat this, I give you permission. You're going to have to, you might get sick, you'll have the effects of it, but you can eat these particular animals. I'll give you permission to. And then there is the prohibited diet where God says, don't eat it. It's unclean. So there you have the three different diets. We recommend the first one. Think of all the benefits you'll reap by following God's health principles. You'll reap good health. You'll reap superior intellect. You'll feel better. You'll be able to think better. You'll have a better life. Get sick less often. For those of you, some of you, if you're thinking about the vegetarian alternative, we recommend that you make the change gradually. Maybe one meal a week you could have as your vegetarian meal. And you can experiment with recipes. Dr. Blessy's been sharing some ideas. And then maybe one day, you can make it later, one day a week is your vegetarian day. And then you can make the change gradually. Of course, the unclean foods... We need to get rid of them right away. But if you want to consider being a vegetarian, uh, we recommend, if you want to try that, eating your beans and your nuts to get your protein. It was about 35 years ago when I thought, I'm going to try this vegetarian thing. And I've been a vegetarian ever since. I was amazed how much more energy I had, how much more endurance I had, and how much brighter I could think when I became a vegetarian. I was about 20, 21 years old. And for me, I've been a vegetarian all my life, so I never had meat in my 22 years. So if you want to try that, then make sure you eat your beans and your nuts so you get your protein. You might want to make the change more gradually. The unclean food, though, we should get rid of. The motto is always something better. If you quit smoking, get a, buy a pocket New Testament. And then when you reach in your pocket for the pack of cigarettes, you're pulling out the Word of God. If you give up alcohol, you should. Buy yourself some Welsh's 100% grape juice. When you give up the Baboy, you should. Then get yourself a vegetarian cookbook or buy some tofu or some soy products. Something better really ought to be our goal. But what if you're hooked by a bad habit? What can you do? Well, many of us are hooked with bad habits. And Jesus said that without me you can do nothing. But Paul says, mark it down in your notes, Philippians 4.13, I can do how much? All things. All things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You see, Christ wants us not only to be with him in heaven for all eternity, he wants us here on this earth to experience abundant life and good health while right here on this earth. And so tonight, we want to challenge you, go home and clean out the freezer, all that camel meat. Anything else we've discovered uh, tonight that is unhealthy. And let's live the abundant, happy, healthy life. Amen? How many of you would like to ask Jesus for help to make the changes in your life you know you need to make? May I see your hands? Yes, God will help us to make those changes.
There is hope for you. But remember, you are what you eat. There is hope for you, caffeine and tobacco. You can defeat. There is hope for you, no pig. There are worms in that treat. But there is hope in Christ for you. There is hope for you, seafood must have fins and scales. There is hope for you, no more shrimp and also whales. There is hope for you, all shellfish too, by God's word, fails. But there is hope in Christ for you. There is hope for you, sickness and disease come by stealth. There is hope for you, God wants you to have good health. There is hope for you, wellness is worth more than wealth. And there is hope in Christ for you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.